Coming up on today's show, a must-win game for the Arsenal, the Liverpool player that scares the living daylights out of me, the threat of Darwin Nunez, why Jorginho should start, the key battles, starting 11s, predictions and more. It's the Chronicles of Laguna podcast and it's the Big Match Preview. Hey everybody, how's it going? Happy Friday. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. It's the Big Match Preview. We are back looking ahead to what could potentially be one of the biggest games of Arsenal's season. A clash with table toppers Liverpool, who are in irresistible form at the moment, who are on a buzz, on a high, um, desperate to make an impression, desperate to go all the way in the Premier League and in the other competitions that they're in, in order to give their legendary manager, Jurgen Klopp, the send-off that they feel he deserves. But can Arsenal put a spanner in the works? Back-to-back victories in the Premier League for the Gunners against Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest have put us in a position where this game is set up really, really nicely. And we're going to preview that game in full, in great detail, on this edition of the show. The transfer window is shut, and so there is no need to discuss any baseless transfer rumours until at least the summer now, which I'm delighted about. But I figured that it would be worth uh, rounding up some of the late deals uh, that took place yesterday with regards to the Arsenal, because I think there were seven in total, seven departures. Um, We'll get into those in just a second. But to kind of contextualise how different this January transfer window was to um, January transfer windows of years gone by, I'm going to throw you some figures. £96 million was spent in this January transfer window in comparison to the £780 million spent in this country alone last year, most of which, of course, was Chelsea. But it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that the PSR stuff, it has really caught up with a lot of clubs. It has really thrown a spanner in the works. It has really impacted on uh, the level of activity, uh, of course, in uh, in this window. So I, I just wanted to put that out there to give you guys some context, because I think a lot of people have kind of been, uh, you know, throwing their toys out of the pram and saying, well, you know, this is going to cost Arsenal. This is why Arsenal aren't going to win the Premier League title because they weren't willing to go out in January and do this and do that. It's not about being willing. It's not about, um, you know, the want to do it. It's about not being able to financially for the reasons that we've discussed. And we talk a lot about it. Um, We have talked a lot about it in recent months because Arsenal... Um, are a club that, as I've mentioned time and time again, have been spending, 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 spending. And that was necessary to get us into a position where we were competitive again. But obviously, at some point, that was going to have uh, a knock-on effect. At some point, we were going to have to reel it in as a result. Now, let me run you through um, some of the departures uh, that have happened over the last 24, 48 hours with regards to some of the players in our youth teams, um, in our under-21s, etc., etc., um, a big shout out to Tom Canton, by the way, because what happened yesterday was I, I was extremely busy despite deadline day being basically dead and, and not very eventful or enjoyable. Um, normally, I quite enjoy working on deadline day, even though it's a long shift. I quite enjoy it. Yesterday, I didn't. It was a drag. It was so dull. I managed to kind of get home for, I think, about 7 p.m. after a full day's work. And then I knew that I had work to do later on in the evening. One of the streams that I was going to do 
was booked in for midnight because it was a US based thing, right? And obviously the time difference meant that it would be midnight our time by the time that they wanted me on. And you know, when you get into that mode of like unwinding and chilling, and then you're required to kind of click your fingers and go back into action, it's quite difficult. And I really felt it last night. It was a real, real slog, a real um, drag. And, and as these deals were were coming to light, what I was doing when I was spotting them on Twitter was I was screenshotting them on my phone um, and thinking, um, oh, uh, you know, great. I'll, um, I'll, I'll take a screenshot of that. I'll take a screenshot of that. I'll take a screenshot of that. And what that means is that then when I've come to rounding up all the deals, I can just go through my phone and find them. Guess what? I missed some of them because I switched off. So a, ba- a big th- thank you and shout out to Tom Canton because he broke it all down brilliantly on the Arsenal News Show this morning over on the Guna Talk TV, which means I've got a nice comprehensive list that I can read out to you. Zane Monlui to Reading on loan, done deal. Kion Edwards to Leighton Orient on loan, done deal. Charles Sago Jr. has joined Swansea on loan. Now, I think this is the best move of the lot. Charles Sago Jr., he appeared against Brentford in the Carabao Cup. He's a player that a lot of people talk about as being one of the few that is kind of knocking on the door when it comes to making that step up from academy football uh, to the first team proper. And I think Swansea's a good place to go. I think they play a good style of football, which works in terms of conditioning you for maybe what you're going to face and what you're going to be required to do when you come back to Arsenal. I'm not saying it's the same level or anything like that, but as far as championship clubs go, I don't think there are many better suited to our players than Swansea. Charlie Patino is there and having a good time at the moment. Miguel Aziz has departed the club. He's gone to Atletico Baleares, who are in the third tier in Spain. Lino Sosa has joined Aston Villa for an undisclosed fee. He's been loaned straight to Plymouth, um, but the club keep him very, very tight-lipped with regards to how much Arsenal have managed to bring in for him. Bradley Ibrahim has joined Hertha Berlin of the Bundesliga 2 for, again, an undisclosed fee. And Alex Runison, remember him? He has had his contract terminated by mutual consent and he's joined FC Copenhagen. Now, the transfer window might be shut in England, but it's not shut everywhere, right? So there's still a potential for some more deals to go through with regards to departures. Arsenal are not bringing anybody in. Our transfer window is closed. The club made that very, very clear. Mikel Arteta made that very, very clear a few days ago. So if you woke up on deadline day expecting a surprise, I'm sorry that you've been disappointed, but it was always going to be the case. There are rumours that Marquinhos could be on his way back to Brazil, that Omar Rekic could be moving on. Cedric Suarez remains an Arsenal player. There was some suggestion that he was headed for Galatasaray. Then reports emerged to the effect of, well, no, actually Galatasaray prefer to bring in Serge Aurier and that that's the deal that they're going to go for. But we then learned that that deal has broken down because of the payment structure not being agreed between Nottingham Forest and Galatasaray. So the the Turkish Giants, having sold Sasha Bowie this month to Bayern Munich and having got a hefty fee in for him, I think it's about 30 million euros in total, which is really good business from their their side of things. They are still in the market for a right back. Will it be Cedric Suarez or will they move for someone else? I don't know. Uh, We're going to have to wait and see. But that window, the Turkish transfer window, is open for a good seven more days. So there is a possibility that that does happen, although I don't think it will, if I'm being uh, completely honest with you. Uh, Let me say a few good mornings to those of you joining us in the live chat. I know we're streaming much earlier 
than we normally do, which has probably caught a few of you off guard. But it's another really busy day. And I wanted to make sure that I get this preview show out with plenty of time um, and, and give it time to breathe uh, because this is a really, really big game. And I've gone quite in depth on this one. I know my previews are normally quite um, statistics heavy. And then we try and share a little bit of insight as to how we think the game's going to go and all the rest of it. I've got a few specifics that I really want to delve into on this episode. I'm really, really looking forward to it. If I could ask you to, before uh, we do just that, please leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. That really, really does help as well. If you're listening to us on audio, then please do leave us a review as well. That would be great. Okay, um, let's start off by discussing whether or not this game against Liverpool is a must win. Can you go as far as saying that? Is Arsenal's clash with Liverpool at Emirates Stadium this Sunday a must-win game for Mikel Arteta's side? I don't know that you can say it's a must-must-win because of the stage that we're at in the season. There's still a long, long way to go. Um, you know, a five-point deficit between the two sides is not something that is impossible to overturn between now and the end of the season. We learned that the hard way last time out, didn't we? But what I would say is this game is definitely a must not lose. I would go as far as saying that if Liverpool beat us at the weekend, at least for the time being, unless something changes, unless something drastically changes in the coming weeks, that means that we're able to claw back the ground that they would gain on us essentially by beating us at Emirates Stadium, then I would say that for now we're out of the title race. I would go as far as saying that. I really do believe that because I think that Liverpool, the way they're looking, and I know people were saying this about us last season, but also Manchester City just looks so formidable at the moment. And if the truth be told, Arsenal haven't been as good as we were last season. Arsenal have kind of, I don't want to say stuttered through the season so far, um, that, that, uh, but they haven't coasted through it like we did up until this point last season. So there is a concern. There is a worry. There is a hope more than anything else that Arsenal are going to turn it on and come good. Um, you know, in the in what remains of the season. And that's based upon the fact that we all saw last season that this team can be a lot better. We all saw the difference that players like Thomas Partey can make, and hopefully he's back in the not-too-distant future. And when you think that maybe we've kind of regressed a little bit in certain areas, I think there's some areas where we look better. Like, I think defensively, I certainly feel more comfortable when I watch this Arsenal team um, than I did last season. But there is there is a feeling that we haven't hit our peak yet this season. And so that hope that we're going to do that in the business end, which we were unable to do last season, is what I, I guess spurs me on and, and gives me the belief that Arsenal can, can make a fist of this, can give it a good old go. But if you lose this game, not only is it psychologically, I think, very, very damaging, but it also is mathematically pretty damaging as well, because to go eight points behind Liverpool without having to play them again, you look at that and you think, well, how the hell are we going to claw that back? They don't look like dropping points against pretty much anybody else. Now, I know the title race this season is different because there's three sides in it, by my estimations. And that means that there's a greater... Um, there's a greater chance that they will take points off each other. Obviously, Man City and Liverpool still have to meet, but that game's at Anfield. They've already played at the Etihad. 
So you look at it and you go, well, if they get eight points clear and then they've got Man City to come at Anfield, they probably don't lose that, which means at best you're going to claw back two points on them when that comes around. But then you're still talking about a six-point gap between yourselves and the league leaders. So for me, is it a must-win? I wouldn't go as far as saying it's an absolute must-win and if we don't win it, the world is ending. But I would go as far as saying it's an must not lose. And if we do lose it, then at least for now, unless something changes, we would, in my estimations, be out of the title race. And I don't want to have that feeling in February, right? I want us to be right in and amongst it. And I know last season brought lots of heartbreak and disappointment and all the rest of it. But man, I uh, I want us to go uh, all the way because regardless of how it ended last year, I don't know about you guys, but the ride well, until it came to that point where it all crashed and burned was was pretty special, wasn't it? And I want to experience that every year. That's your hope. That's your goal. That's your aspiration as an Arsenal fan. You can't win it if you're not in it. So at the very least, you want to be competing. We're going to move on uh, to our statistical preview section where we are, of course, going to look ahead to this one, uh, look at it in terms of numbers. Now, of course, this is a a pretty big fixture in Premier League history. 63 meetings between these two sides down the years. Arsenal have won 17 of those. Liverpool have won 25. They're one of just, I think, two clubs that we've got a worse head-to-head record against um, than they have against us. I think that's that's factually correct. Um, there's been 21 draws between the sides as well. But what I will say, which gives us a sign of encouragement, is that under Mikel Arteta, in recent times, we've been able to close that gap between ourselves and Liverpool. There's been a few cup ties. They came out on top, of course, in the FA Cup um, earlier this uh, earlier last month. Earlier last month. It can't be earlier last month. It's just last month, isn't it? Um, forgot that we've moved into February. Thank God. Um, and obviously, they knocked us out of the, the League Cup semi-final last season. So there's probably a bit more um, context that needs to be added to this. But when you look at the Premier League meetings, go back to the 23rd of December, just before Christmas, we managed to get a 1-1 draw at Anfield, which is a pretty good result. Go back to the 9th of April, where I would say that our title charge started to unravel. Yes, it was really disappointing because we were two goals to the good and we should have taken all three points that day. But even still, we took a point at Anfield. So that's twice in the league consecutively that we've been to Anfield and not lost. You couldn't have said that five or six years ago, right? Go back to the 9th of October 2022 and we beat Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium in what was a thrilling game by three goals to two. Um, So across the last three Premier League meetings between these two sides, we've won one and drawn two. That's a vast improvement when you think about where we were at. Um, just three, four, five years ago. So that's why I look at this fixture and I look at it and I think it is one that we're capable of winning. That kind of inferiority complex that we felt, I think, over the last few years against City and against Liverpool, that's starting to go now. You know, we beat Man City earlier this season. We drew at Anfield. We drew at Anfield last season and we beat them at the Emirates last season. We outplayed them in the FA Cup. I know they beat us in the end, and that was obviously really disappointing. But that was as a consequence of a really unlucky own goal, um, which essentially tipped the the balance of a really, really um, finely balanced game. So I'm quite confident that we can give it a good go this weekend. And I think if you look at the recent meetings, you should take encouragement from that. If you look at the form guide, there's no doubt that Liverpool have been in far better form 
of late than Arsenal have. They've won four of their last five Premier League games. The only game in which they dropped points was that 1-1 draw against Arsenal. Arsenal, on the other hand, have lost two of their last five. Defeats at home to West Ham and away to Fulham did us real damage. If we'd have won one of those games, we'd be in a far better position than we are today. Everyone's going to drop points at certain points in the Premier League. That's how it goes. It's, it's a really tough division. But when you're up against sides like Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and Pep Guardiola's Man City, you can't afford to drop points, you know, consecutively. You, you just can't. That's just the nature of the beast. That's how it goes. If we look at the season so far, obviously Liverpool are top of the pile. We're in third at the moment. They've won 15. We've won 14. They've had six draws and just the one defeat. We've had four draws, but we've lost four times which again, doesn't bode well if you're looking at Arsenal as, as potential title winners. Um, if you look at average goal score per match, we're on two, they're on 2.32. Average goals conceded per match, they're just below us, uh, which is obviously where they want to be. On 0.86 per game, we seem to concede 0.95 per game. Eight clean sheets apiece, and it looks like, according to the Premier League's website, that they create more big chances per game than us as well. If we move on to top player stats, now these are statistics across these two teams. You look at goals and it's no wonder that Liverpool are where they are in the table. Mohamed Salah uh, is back from the AFCON, but he's unavailable through injury. Jurgen Klopp confirmed that a few days ago, but he's got 14 in the Premier League. Diogo Jota, who we're going to talk about a little bit later on, has got eight in the Premier League. Darwin Nunez, who people seem to ridicule every week for uh, how many chances he spurns, has seven goals in the Premier League. Now, Arsenal's top scorer in the Premier League is Bukayo Saka, who I think is on six or seven as well. I think it might be seven after the Nottingham Forest game the other night. When it comes to assists, again, Mo Salah leads the way on eight. Darwin Nunez and Bukayo Saka are in joint second on seven. Tackles, Alexis McAllister, who is in a six, people keep telling me, but he's doing a really, really good job there in the absence of Wataru Endo. Uh, who's obviously at the Asian Cup. 49 tackles he's made this season. Declan Rice has made 47. Now, when you think about in your mind how often you see Declan Rice win the ball back for Arsenal, to see someone who is in a six, you know, outnumber him in that department, it tells you how well that player has been playing. And so even without Endo, even with the lack of a natural six, I think Liverpool um, are really, really well equipped in that midfield area. Why? Because they did some really, really good business over this um, over the course of, uh, of this summer in terms of uh, reinforcing that midfield. We're going to take a really, really short pause here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the Liverpool player that scares the living daylights out of me. There's one player in particular that I'm really worried about. There'd be two, but one of them is not available. We'll get into that in just a mo, you're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. So the Liverpool player that scares the living daylights out of me, you won't be surprised to hear, is Diogo Jota. Eight goals and two assists in 14 games versus Arsenal in all competitions since he came to England. He really has it in for us, this guy. And every time we come up against them, whether he starts or not, you know that he's going to have some kind of impact. He's so clinical in front of goal. And, you know, I have to say when he joined the club, when he joined Liverpool from Wolves, I wondered whether he could make that step up. 
I looked at him always as a winger, as somebody who was effective from the wide areas, lots of pace, pretty tricky, um, pretty robust, pretty energetic. But, you know, at times he's been tasked with playing through the middle. Even when he's not starting through the middle, he seems to find his way into those positions really often. And he's become a real out-and-out goal scorer for Liverpool. I would say outside of Mo Salah, some would argue that he's, he's better than Mo Salah in this department. I would argue that he is Liverpool's best finisher. And his record against us gives me reason to be worried and reason to be concerned. And I'm sure all Arsenal fans feel like that at the moment. His importance is even more, um, uh, of course, now that Salah's not available, now that Salah's not around, there is a greater reliance on Diogo Jota to deliver the goods. But he's been able to do that with regularity since he joined the club. And it's no wonder uh, that he's held in high Right, uh, high regard, high esteem. I can see in the chat that some of you are making the comparison between Jota and Jesus. Jay Sayers says Jota is what Arsenal fans think Jesus is. I don't think anybody's under any illusion about what Gabriel Jesus is, what his strengths are and what he brings to the table. And I don't really think this is a comparison that sane people are making. I think that Gabriel Jesus is clearly someone who... Um, whose greatest strengths lie in his ability to link up play, in his ability to dribble, in his ability to create space for others. He needs to score more goals, there's no doubt about that. And hopefully what we saw the other night and the comments that he made after the game about the need to kind of get in those positions and the fact that's been talked about and discussed more often, the need to be that little bit more selfish, hopefully it's going to be the start of him contributing a bit more in that sense. Jota is a far better finisher than Gabriel Jesus. I don't think anybody in the world would dispute that. Um, at this moment in time. They're different players because I would argue that Jota doesn't give you um, the same uh, sophistication level in terms of his link-up, but that's not what he's required to do in this Liverpool side because they play a very different way. Uh, the system works very, very differently. And a lot of the time, um, you know, the, the one that does the running, the stretching, the the makes the moves into the channels that pulls people out of positions is is another player that we're going to talk about in a minute. And that is Liverpool's Darwin Nunez. But I don't think that comparison um, is one that many Arsenal fans are making, Jay. I, I really don't. I've not seen people make that comparison anyway. In fact, I sat on the 90 Min show, I think, two weeks ago, and we discussed this. And I said that I would have Jota up front over Jesus because I think he brings you Goals, which are the most valuable commodity in football, as I always say. Um, Cass says, yep, I'm always scared where Jota is concerned. He's a real goal poacher who always turns it on against us. Yep, absolutely. Uh, John Santos uh, says, Luis Diaz versus Ben White is going to be an interesting battle indeed. And I think whoever plays fullback for Arsenal at the weekend, obviously, I think Ben White is going to be one of them. It's probably going to be Zinchenko on the other side as well because there isn't an alternative right now other than Jakub Kivior, who I do not want to see playing at left-back against this Liverpool side. I think he's going to have a problem because they're going to be doubled up on and it's really important that we're alert to that and we're going to touch on that when we get into our Darwin Nunez second in just a second. Get into our Darwin Nunez section, I should say, in just a second. Right, uh, short pause, and we'll do exactly that. We're going to talk Darwin Nunez. Liverpool's Uruguayan striker that is often ridiculed, but really is bloody effective, isn't he? Darwin Nunez, he seems to have it all. But at times, the finish, uh, or the lack of a finish, feels like what we're always talking about. Um, we're always talking about the chances he misses. 
but he's got seven goals and seven assists in 21 Premier League appearances this season. 14 direct goal contributions in 21 Premier League games. That's pretty good going for someone who couldn't hit a barn door, if you listen to some. I think what we really need to be wary of with Darwin Nunez is the way that he likes to stretch opposition. The way he stretches teams, the way he drags people out of position and the spaces that those runs then create uh, for some of his peers. So I want to do a bit of a tactical um, analysis here, which I want to share with you guys on the screen. So as you can see, um, this is how I think Arsenal should line up. We'll come on to my lineup in a bit. Um, I've gone with the back four, the midfield three, and obviously the front three. And I've gone with Liverpool playing what looks like a 4-3-3. A three, three. If you have a look at uh, where, you know, let's say, for example, that this this counter here that I'm highlighting is, is Darwin Nunez. In fact, you know what? Let me label it uh, so it's easier for those of you that are watching to see. If you're listening on audio, don't worry, I'll explain this as best as I can. Now, I think that Darwin Nunez is probably going to be... Um, deployed in either one of the wide areas, um, maybe from the right-hand side because of uh, Luis Diaz's availability. Maybe he's going to play through the middle. You know, it's it's difficult to know what they're going to do because they've got options. It could be Jota. It could be Yakpo. It could be um, Luis Diaz. It could be Nunez. You know, they've got options to, to switch it around. And whichever player they pick in those positions... They're, it's going to be fluid anyway, because the movement is there. They're going to interchange. They're going to switch positions. Let's say for argument's sake that Darwin Nunez, in fact, should we check um, where he lined up against, um, where we lined up against um, Chelsea in midweek? Let me just quickly have a look just to make sure um, that I'm, I'm giving you the right information, because I wouldn't want to give you any false information, would I? So if we look at it the other night, it looked like on paper that Nunez was was playing through the middle, uh, that Jota was on one side and that Diaz was on the other. So let's, for argument's sake now, put Nunez through the middle. The problem with someone like Darwin Nunez is that his movement is so good that you have to be alert and switched on to what he brings to the table in every single moment of every single game. He will, at times drift out to the left-hand side, try and pull the centre-back with him, in this case, William Saliba, and open up spaces for the likes of Diogo Jota to run into and get into those central positions from which we all know that he can be devastating. Darwin Nunez is not only a big man, um, he's not only someone that you can go direct to, he's not only someone that can win aerial duels, but he's someone who is more than happy to get into a sprint race and into a foot race with somebody and pull them out of position. And he won't just do this on Arsenal's right-hand side. He will do this on Arsenal's left-hand side as well. He is willing to run into any channel that becomes available. And so the two areas that you have to be really switched onto when you're defending against someone like Darwin Nunez are these areas here, these inside channels. So this is the channel on this side, and then this is the channel on this side here. you got to be super careful of those spaces because what you don't want is Darwin Nunez to start dragging your centre-backs into those areas, especially on the transition. If we're going to play the way that I want us to play, and we'll come on to my lineup in a bit, then there is a chance that if we lose the ball high up the pitch, Liverpool are going to look up and they're going to hit those channels early, nice and early, looking for Darwin Nunez's runs. Zinchenko 
is not likely to be sitting in the left-back position when Arsenal are in possession. He's more likely to be further in field, which makes Gabriel's life a lot harder in terms of having to stay as close to William Saliba as he possibly can. But he's also then got to make sure that he's ready to go out into those channels and, and challenge Darwin Nunez when Liverpool are dropping balls in there. And they will do that. There's no doubt in my mind that they will do that. When he played against Arsenal in the FA Cup not that long ago, Darwin Nunez, I thought he caused us all sorts of problems in that second half with his running. He kept putting himself out on that left-hand side into those channels and he kept getting into space and he kept running. Now, he's not always the most productive player, but you just know that given Arsenal's luck, he's probably going to be in the form of his life at the weekend. So you have to factor in the threat that he brings. I think it's really, really important that we're alert to that, that we're switched on to that, but not just that we focus all our efforts on dealing with him and stopping the ball reaching him or stopping him getting into positions from which he can do damage. You need to then be aware of the runners because I tell you what, there probably aren't two wide forwards in the world that do this better um, than, than Diaz and Jota, maybe Mo Salah, but obviously he's not available at making those runs into the those central positions off the flank. Martinelli and Saka did it great last season. They don't seem to be able to do it with the same effect as they did last year. But I tell you what, these boys are in top form and they're doing it week in, week out. So if your centre-backs are occupied with helping out in the channels, they can very, very easily find themselves affording just too much space to the likes of Jota and, and Diaz, who I expect to play in the wide positions when they come in field. And if you give them space, we all know what they can do to you. So the channels are going to be key. Really, really key. And Darwin Nunez is a big part of Liverpool's game plan when it comes to creating the space and facilitating um, the uh, the goal-scoring capabilities of your Diaz's and of your Jotas, who, as I've mentioned, is the Liverpool player that scares the living daylights out of me. Now, if you're watching, you'd have seen my lineup on the screen. You'd have seen that I've gone... Uh, with Jorginho in midfield, which I'm sure some of you would disagree with. I think a lot of people are going to think that after his performance the other night, that maybe Emil Smith-Rowe should be playing in the Arsenal midfield. But this is what I've gone with. I've gone with Raya in goal. I've gone with White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Listen, <laughs> Zinchenko, we've got no choice at the moment. That's that's the harsh reality of it. In midfield, I've gone with Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard because I thought that midfield worked really well against them in the Cup. But I also have other reasons for that, which we'll get into in a minute. I've gone Saka, right, Martinelli left and Jesus through the middle. I have to say, and again, I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I was tempted to put Kai Havertz as the centre forward. I look at the effort that Jesus put in the other night. I look at the fact that he's obviously got an ongoing issue with his knee. And I just wonder if maybe we should go with Havertz because of how effective he was against Liverpool in the cup. Didn't score. His finishing was, was really poor. But in terms of creating spaces and in terms of doing a bit of what I've just explained Darwin Nunez will be looking to do for Liverpool, he had a really, really good game. We're going to take another short pause. And when we come back, I'm going to explain to you why I think it is imperative that Jorginho starts this game for Arsenal. This might come back to bite me on the arse, but I really do believe that at least going into the game, this is the right decision to make. We'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hope you're enjoying the show. I um, hope you're enjoying the preview. I really do enjoy putting these previews together. So um, I hope you guys uh, enjoy them. Please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Please do subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening on audio, well, then please do leave us a review as well. That really, really um, does help. Okay, um, let's talk Jorginho because I think it is imperative that Jorginho starts this game. And I know there are Jorginho sceptics out there. I know there are Arsenal fans that will say no, 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 no. But I think he's proven in recent times when deployed in the bigger games that he is useful, that he brings a calmness, a control, and that him and Declan Rice is a combination. Because although on paper, if you put Jorginho as the six, it's almost like you're saying, well, Rice is playing as an eight. I actually think he's playing a kind of hybrid role where he tucks in and he supports Jorginho when necessary being well aware of maybe the guy's mobility issues in terms of the fact that he's not the quickest across the ground, not the most physical, et cetera, et cetera. But also he does have that bit of freedom and that bit of license in certain scenarios to get forward and support the attack. So let me explain using my tactics board, which I love, obviously, uh, why I think it's imperative that Jorginho plays. One of the features of the FA Cup game that we played recently was the fact that Liverpool were really, really aggressive in their press and we were able to play through it because we had the right personnel uh, to do that. And in the first half in particular, we caused them all sorts of problems. How we weren't winning that game by two, three goals at halftime, I'll never know. We just weren't clinical enough. We didn't take our chances when they came. We hit the woodwork, etc., etc. Something Darwin Nunez, by the way, knows all about. But if you look at the way Liverpool like to press, right? So you know that Nunez... Um, is going to is is going to to want to press. You know that the the three forwards are going to do that, and with the four defenders and of course the goalkeeper um, being involved as well, which is why we signed David Raya, isn't it? Really to be uh, helpful in that situation, in that scenario, his ability to play the ball into midfield, all that stuff is really really important to us. You have the man advantage, four versus three, and of course the goalkeeper makes it five versus three. So there's there's confidence that even though it's high risk football that you can play your way through Liverpool's press. What happens is once you play your way through the first line of press is you face a second line of press, um, which is going to be really, really aggressive. We've seen it before with Liverpool. And you know that Jorginho, who's going to play in the six if Arteta goes with my lineup, is going to be the one that comes under pressure. Now, is he the most press-resistant player? Well, not physically, because you you don't fancy him to hold someone off if they're kind of physically challenging him for the ball. But I tell you what he is. He's calm, he's composed, he's got great vision, and he's got plenty of experience. And I think one of the reasons we were so successful in terms of breaking through Liverpool's midfield line and getting onto their back line when we played them in the FA Cup was because of him, because of the way he progressed the ball. Now, you want Zinchenko to be doing a bit of this as well. But I also recognise that against a side like Liverpool, it's probably really, really important, actually, that you um, you keep Zinchenko in the right starting position because in the event of a turnover, you need him to be in the best possible situation when it comes to trying to defend. Against weaker sides, you can take greater risks with him and you can push him further up the pitch and more in field. But I think a lot of the emphasis on this is going to be on Jorginho. Now, when Jorginho receives the ball here, I think it's really important that Declan Rice is switched on. I talk about him playing maybe, if you go with this this team, a hybrid role in terms of wanting to be an eight and wanting to get involved in the attack, but also needing to be alert. 
He needs to recognize when the ball's about to be fed into Jorginho and be at least in the vicinity and on hand to support should the turnover happen. We know his uh, ability to recover the ball is brilliant. His physicality is great as well. And he just offers you that extra layer of protection. But Jorginho in this position has the ability to pick up the ball and under pressure, turn, whatever, and play balls through the lines into the likes of Odegaard, into the likes of um, Martinelli, into spaces for maybe Declan Rice uh, to run onto as well. And that was a big part of why Arsenal were able to break through the lines. Now, you could argue that if Liverpool kind of fall into this trap, it's a little bit naive, but we're going to do the same thing the other way. We're going to press them aggressively the other way. And what I actually like to see from Arsenal is a bit more of a measured approach when we're pressing because against Manchester City, when we played them in the league, I thought we did a really good job of saying, you know what, sometimes we're going to press you, but other times we're going to let you have it there. And we're just going to make sure that we're in shape and make sure that we don't leave any spaces and we're not vulnerable as a result of that. So I think Jorginho is going to be key here. If if Thomas Partey was available, then obviously Thomas Partey would play in that sixth role. And then Rice's responsibility in terms of defensively in this setup when he's playing as, an, in quote marks, an eight, would be less because you'd have greater faith in Thomas Partey and his press resistance because of his physical attributes as well as his technical ones. Jorginho has all the technical ability in the world, maybe not the physical stuff that allows him to protect the ball in the same way. But there's no doubt about it. This is going to be the key to breaching that Liverpool midfield and getting onto the back line. And when we did that in the FA Cup, we had lots of joy because all of a sudden it was your three forwards onto their back four. It was Martin Odegaard joining in, making it four on four. It, it was it was so good. It was so good. And when we had Kai Havertz up front as well, in the scenario, in the situation that you couldn't play through the lines like this, then we could go that little bit more direct. Martinelli and Saka would get on their bike really early, get close to him, knowing that the knockdown was going to come and we were effective that way as well. That's why I'd be tempted, not just because of Jesus's fitness issues, but that's why I'd be tempted to play Havertz here as well. Again, I know people would disagree with that, but I think that's an option too. So that's why I think Jorginho playing is imperative and that's why I think he can make the difference. He's got the experience in big game situations. Um, and I can make the case for Jorginho to start here as an individual. But perhaps the stronger case is the one that says you can't afford to play Emile Smith-Rowe or Havertz in a midfield against Liverpool. I think that's probably the stronger case. Because to have Emile Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, for example, against Liverpool's midfield would unbalance us. And I think defensively makes us too fragile. Not from a want of a lack of trying from those two guys or anything like that. It just, it just to me is a massive, massive gamble and a massive, massive risk to take. So those are my uh, key points ahead of the game against uh, Liverpool at the weekend. Now I guess it's time for my prediction. Let's get some of yours as well in the live chat. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguni. So my prediction for this one: drum roll. Yep, you've guessed it. Arsenal won, Liverpool won. I don't think we're going to beat them. I think they're in irresistible form at the moment. I think they're in a, a really good place. Um, I think we're in a better place than we were two weeks ago, obviously. But I think everything's going to have to be tip-top on the day for us to be able to overcome them and get the result. We need a bit of luck. We certainly didn't have that at the back end of last season. We certainly haven't had that 
at points this season. Um, but I think a draw is probably the most likely outcome here. And so I'm going to go with a 1-1. One, one. I'm going to dive over to the chat box um, and see uh, what you guys are saying as well uh, before we sign out. But my prediction, 1-1 one, one draw, let me know what you think. Um, just on uh, Ben White, Jack says, uh, Ben White looks back to full fitness again. He does. Um, he's looking much, much better because not only is he defensively contributing, but he seems to be getting forward more now and supporting Saka, which makes a big difference to Bukayo Saka because that space that Ben White can create by making the overlapping run, the hesitance that that causes the defender, can just buy Saka the split second he needs to dart inside someone or take him on on the outside. And I thought Saka had a good time against Toffolo the other night. And a lot of that was down to Saka, obviously, and him playing really well on an individual level. But a lot of that was down to um, to Ben White's movement as well. Um, what else have we got? Um, Christoph, just on Darwin Nunez, says, what impresses me about Darwin is his willingness to shoot. He's always looking to score a more fearless approach opposed to, as opposed to some others who appear fearful to take on the responsibility. And when you think about the stick he gets, and and then you factor in the confidence he seems to have, regardless of that. It's, it's, it's quite brilliant, isn't it? Um, it really, really is. Uh, what else have we got? Um, John Santos says, uh, how much will the bench have an effect on this game? It could have a massive effect. Both sides have got players that can come on and make a difference. I'm really looking forward to, you know, maybe at some point bringing on Leandro Trossard. If Jesus starts up front, then you've got Kai Havertz, who brings you something totally different. And when he's come off the bench at centre-forward... Again, he's looked quite effective, hasn't he? He has. Uh, Mead Addy says, you ain't beating Liverpool. They have Jota. Um, and they brought two kids on when it was nil-nil. Yeah, Connor Bradley's a fantastic player. Will he start a right back? I don't imagine so. I don't think if I were Jurgen Klopp, I'd do that in a game like this. I'd probably go with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mead Addy also says, and it seems like you, you, you're one of those people that just enjoys complaining. Ben White was never injured. It's an excuse for his shit performances. How the hell do you know that? You in his bedroom or something at night? That's mad. Uh, Louis says, uh, I'm going to go uh, 3-1 Liverpool. Not at all confident. Lucky if we get a draw, which isn't the end of the world. Think a draw would be okay for our title chances. I'd like a win, though. I hope I'm wrong in saying 3-1 Liverpool. Where's the optimism, guys? Come on. Um, I wonder if Jurgen Klopp will be playing North London forever on the Liverpool training ground over the coming days. I <laughs> uh, wonder joins us uh, from West Canada, 2 a.m. over there. Um, thank you for joining us, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Shout out to you and everybody else joining us uh, from across the pond. Um, I know that's what they say for the States, but you're also across the pond, right? Technically. Um, John says that Tiago is a free agent in the summer. Would you take him? No. Um, I just think, as great a footballer as he is, he's just injured too much, isn't he? He really, really is. Uh, Lid says, Hart says 2-0, but Head thinks 2-2. I mean, it depends on the circumstances as well, right? You know, what you would take now could be different to what you would take in the game. So if you find yourself 2-0 down and then you come back to 2-2, that draw feels like a victory. Um, whereas if you're 2-0 up and you draw 2-2, then you feel like it's a defeat. So, the context is is really important in what you would and wouldn't take. Um, but yeah. Anyway, guys, um, thank you so much for joining me on this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I hope you like the funky new music. We're going to use it in the middle bits as well, where we do the little transitions. 
Really appreciate all the love, all the support. Like, subscribe. You know the drill by now. Uh, we're going to be back with plenty more content over the coming days because this is a huge weekend for the Arsenal. Up the gunners and we'll see you all soon. Until the next one. Goodbye. Thank you.